other side of midnight with Frank Morano. PR guru Ryan McCormick, who celebrated his birthday yesterday. Steppenwolf singing Born to be Wild. If there's one aspect of America's government that seems a little wild, it might be the intelligence community. This is something that was scrutinized, criticized heavily by Democrats during the Bush administration. And then when Donald Trump repeatedly started uh, criticizing the intelligence community, uh, even while he was president and their treatment of him, it became a, a sector that was heavily criticized by Republicans and people on the right. Now there's a new church-style committee that is supposedly going to look at the so-called weaponization of the intelligence community. Could this be one of the few issues that in a hyper-partisan, ultra-polarized Washington, D.C., that we could see the left and the right actually get together on and make some changes. What should those changes be? What would they look like? Well, someone who has been covering this issue for a long time is James Bamford. He is a best-selling author. He is a journalist. He is a a documentary producer who has been covering these intelligence agencies for years especially the NSA. The New York Times has called him the nation's premier journalist on the subject of the NSA. The New Yorker named him the NSA's chief chronicler. He's also taught at uh, UC Berkeley and been a uh, distinguished visiting professor there. He's written for every publication that you can imagine. He's won all sorts of awards for his journalism and his writing. And he's uh, got a new book out, which everybody's talking about. You might have seen the excerpt in the New York Post recently. It's called Spy Fail, Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. Jim, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Appreciate it. Oh, great, Frank. Uh, great to be on your show, and I love the title of your show. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. I wish I, that's the one thing about this show I can't take any credit for. That's our owner, John Katzmatidis, who came up with that. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, let me ask you an, what prompted your uh, your specialization in this area. Why the intelligence community? What sparked your interest as a journalist, and why have you spent so many years researching, exploring, and covering the intelligence community? Well, it goes back a long way. I was in the Navy for three years during Vietnam. I got out and uh, went to law school. I didn't really particularly want to be a lawyer. Um, I thought it was rather boring, the whole three years of law school. So I really wanted to be a writer, and I didn't really have uh, any expertise in any area. Um, But I did have a, a sort of fascination with intelligence. I saw a bit of it when I was in the Navy. And uh, I was always interested in the CIA, but then I noticed that nobody had ever done a book on the National Security Agency. It was totally undone. 
Um, and so I spent three years looking into the NSA. I did a tremendous amount of research, interviewed a lot of people, and uh, ended up writing the very first book on NSA, which uh, didn't exactly make the government very happy. They threatened me with prosecution at one point. Wow. Actually, two points. Um, although I never broke any law, so they ended up backing away and not actually prosecuting. Um, but they were very angry because nobody would ever written a book about NSA, and uh, they considered it, uh, still considered it pretty much the, the most secret agency in the U.S. government. So um, I ended up – I mean, the irony here is they threatened me with prosecution on my first book on NSA, and then when I wrote a, another book on NSA, they actually had a book signing for me at NSA. <laughs> so, you know, sort of this love-hate uh, relationship uh, I've had with them. And then I did a third book on NSA and, and then several others on different aspects of the intelligence community. So, um, so yeah, it's been sort of love-hate depending on which uh, – side of the uh, uh, aisle that they're looking at me on. So now, obviously, one of the issues that has been thrust into the news is how presidents and former presidents and former vice presidents handle classified information and classified documents. Uh, We've seen now President Trump, President Biden, then Vice President Biden and former Vice President Pence all have issues with mishandling classified information. First thing is, in delving into this, I don't think a lot of Americans had a full appreciation for the sheer volume of classified documents that are out there. Do you think, from where you're standing, that the government is just classifying too many different documents? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, when I was in the Navy, uh, I was in an intelligence unit, and uh, Christmas cards were sent out, and they actually classified the Christmas cards because oh boy. of some of the names that were uh, signing the Christmas cards. So, um, yeah, it's been over classification for for decades and decades. And um, but the problem is also it's the lack of. Uh, you know, on one hand, you have the over classification, and on the other hand, you have the lack of security of the uh, information. Uh, this is really small potatoes. Just uh, finding few hundred documents here or there at the Trump mansion or out at uh, Biden's uh, house or whatever. Uh, Because in the book, I write about how uh, during the uh, last few years, actually during the uh, Obama administration, the um, NSA managed to lose more than half a billion pages of documents uh, classified above top secret. You know, uh, that's half a billion, um, above half a billion, actually. We're talking with uh, James so, Bamford. He's the author of the book Spy Fail. So much of your book deals with the uh, failures in terms of accountability with agencies like the NSA. And I think, at least in the excerpts that I've read, you ask the question that I think everybody's asking, which is if the NSA or other similar agencies are going to be so negligent in terms of how they handle information, how they uh, handle what should be something that I think a lot of people view as routine, how can they really be trusted to keep the American people safe? That seems like a fair question to ask, doesn't it, James? Well, of course, and that's pretty much the theme of my book was uh, what what happens when the government can't keep track of all its secrets, and when it uh, you know completely fails in terms of uh, uh, security. So, uh, not only did NSA lose uh, more than half a billion pages of documents, just walked out the door, employees walking out the door with them, 
uh, a lot of those ended up in Russia. And then uh, on top of that, they lost almost all of their cyber weapons. Other employees walked out with all the cyber weapons almost and uh, then put them up on the Internet um, for, for sale. I mean, you know, taking the NSA's most valuable uh, weapons or cyber weapons, the equivalent of a loose nuke, and then putting them up for sale on the Internet. Eventually, they wound up in uh, the hands of the North Koreans and, and the Russians, and they were used against the United States and, and ended up creating the uh, world's largest uh, cyber attack, I think, called uh, WannaCry, which was the name for the, uh, uh, this worldwide cyber attack that ended up shutting down hospitals all over the world. So all this happened because of lack of security, and so there's this enormous concentration on in terms of the media on what's happening in Mar-a-Lago or the Biden residence or whatever. But there's got to be a lot more attention paid to uh, the security at the, uh, at the intelligence agencies. So in, um, in 2001, we saw the situation involving uh, FBI agent Robert Philip Hansen, who was arrested for spying first for the Soviet Union and then later in Russia. You m- m- mentioned him in the book. And now we see this uh, incredible situation in which a uh, the FBI's former top spy hunter in New York was charged with taking secret cash payments of more than $225,000, Charles McGonagall, from uh, a Russian billionaire, Oleg Deripaska. Um, what, what can be done to improve the accountability uh, at these intelligence agencies, whether it's the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, the CIA? What can be done? Well, you can start off by firing a few people. Um, that's just never been done. Uh, you know, in a corporation, you manage to lose a corporation uh, enormous amounts of money, millions or billions of dollars or whatever. People get fired. At the NSA, uh, the CIA and other agencies, if you lose all the material, if you get spies that are in your uh, in your employ and so forth, nobody ever gets fired. Uh, the person who was in charge of NSA at the time of uh, of losing all that material, uh, nothing ever happened to him. Um, when uh, uh, General Hayden, who was in charge of NSA at the time of 9-11, he totally missed 9-11. He watched the thing happen on his TV set like everybody else. And he's in charge of the largest intelligence agency in the world. Uh, and then he got the Iraq war uh, completely wrong. He said Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, and he got promoted. Uh, so that's the first thing I would do is start uh, firing a few people or taking a few stars away or cutting pay or something. Well, and, you know, and it something. would seem to me the same thing could be said of Robert Gates. The same thing could be said of George Tenet. Why does no one get fired, whether they're prominent people, uh, the heads of these agencies, or even sort of mid-level or senior people that might have played a role in making misjudgments or uh, being kind of so negligent that something like uh, cyber weapons could go missing? Why does the system protect these bad actors, or at least negligent actors? I think it's just uh, uh, the old boy network, basically. Uh, you just uh, you just don't fire them. I, I could come up with absolutely no logical reason for it, except for, um, you know, we just don't like to fire our own people or whatever. Maybe it looks bad politically if we fire 
uh, fire somebody, it means that somebody did a bad job or they'll bring more attention to the, the problem in the first place. Uh, but that was uh, one of the things that I just uh, emphasized in the book is the fact that this keeps going on and on and on, and, and uh, nobody ever gets fired. Uh, as far as back as I could see, I've never seen – you know, you've had – the FBI has been infiltrated by moles. First, uh, Robert Hansen for 20 years, and then this uh, Chinese mole that I wrote about. Uh, as soon as Hansen was arrested in 2001, the Chinese came up with a mole. Uh, to plant in the FBI, and he wasn't arrested until 2020. Uh, so you had 40 years where the um, FBI was infiltrated by both, uh, uh, well, one time for 20 years by a Russian mole, and then 20 more years for a Chinese mole. And the problem with the moles here is that it, they really do cause the death of, of human beings, the uh, death of uh, sure. agents who have been cooperating with the CIA in, in, in Russia in, in terms of uh, Hansen and also in China in terms of uh, this uh, spy Alex Ma who was arrested in 2020. What? One funny anecdote here is that, uh, you know, I do somewhat feel sorry for, uh, for the uh, intelligence people trying to find moles. Um, my job has always been, you know, covering the intelligence community. And one of the people who um, I got to know pretty well for a number of years was Robert Hansen, who was uh, the, the top Russian spy. Uh, he was even at my wedding, believe it or not. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so all these years here, I'm looking for spies, and here's Hansen. So, uh, so you know, the, the, sometimes it's hard to find them. But then again, I was just a journalist. I wasn't a uh, counterintelligence agent. And the fact was that Hansen worked right down the hallway for for decades uh, from the director of the of the uh, FBI. So, um, so the problem here is that you've got spies, you've got missing documents, you've got all these failures and uh, no accountability. We're talking with James Bamford. His uh, new book is Spy Fail: Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. Jim, one of the things that a lot of the Trump supporters point to, and I don't know your politics. Do you have a a strong political bent one way or another, Jim? Um, not really, no. In, in my book, I criticize the Democrats. I criticize the Republicans. I criticize everybody. So, uh, so no, I've never had a political. Uh, Got it. So you're not a you're not a, dem- a, a you're not a Democrat or Republican partisan. But one no. of the things that the Trump people point to is a comment that Chuck Schumer made six years ago on MSNBC, cautioning Donald Trump and some would say warning Donald Trump not to be so public with his criticisms of the intelligence agencies. This is what Chuck Schumer said at the time. You take on the intelligence community; they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So. Even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. Well, Chuck Schumer, who's now the uh, the Senate Majority Leader, has never really fully explained what he meant by that and how the intelligence agencies were going to get back at Donald Trump. From your research, uh, Jim, do the intelligence agencies have sort of, for lack of a better term, a history of vindictiveness where even high-profile people that cross them end up in their crosshairs? Well, that used to go back to the old uh, days of Jager Hoover, who had a you know file cabinet full of uh, uh, blackmailable secrets on people and so forth. At least that's the 
um, the wives' tale that uh, that goes back, and probably a lot of it's probably true. I haven't really seen uh, so much of that. Uh, I don't know where Chuck Schumer was coming up with that. Uh, I mean, I do mention Chuck Schumer in my book because uh, uh, while the intelligence community and the FBI was out chasing every Russian they could find, uh, which weren't many, on Russiagate, and they ended up coming up with nothing. Um, during that entire time, the, the Clinton campaign was actually penetrated by two spies. They were from the UAE. Um, so uh, the, the United Arab Emirates, uh, the crown prince there, sent two spies to infiltrate the Hillary Clinton campaign for the entire campaign. And it was uh, uh, a total success. They were, the FBI never found them. They were out looking during Russiagate for, uh, for Russians which they never found. And during that entire time, Hillary Clinton's campaign was uh, infiltrated. And it wasn't until a year after the campaign was completely over that they discovered that uh, there were spies there. The irony here is that uh, one of those spies, uh, Chuck Schumer, because they donated so much money in order to be close to Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer actually awarded a uh, an honorary uh, award to one of the spies. Of course he did. Um, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> he, he, believe it or not, he actually made him uh, a part of a committee that looks into uh, uh, religions or something like that. It was so bizarre. Uh, uh, but it had nothing to do with anything except for the fact that these two guys donated millions and millions of dollars to the Clinton camp uh, to the Clinton campaign. There are so many areas, more areas that I want to go into with you, and I hope you'll come back. But before we uh, get out of here, you alluded to the 2016 campaign. I was listening to Anthony Weiner on a, another show on our network uh, last night, and he has always said that he believes that uh, the issue of his laptop in that 2016 campaign was improperly politicized. And he says there was nothing on the laptop, but uh, there were certain elements within the FBI that made it into something very nefarious. And uh, one damaged the Clinton campaign, but also kind of made him a scapegoat in that instance. He said that this new church-style committee, which the Republicans are hoping to establish, looking at the intelligence community, he said that the Democrats in Congress would be well-advised not to fight this, but to embrace it and actually look at this from both sides of the issue. How high are your hopes for what this church, this new church-style committee can accomplish in the new Congress? Well, I actually testified before the original church committee. So no, I know uh, that. Yeah. I'm quite familiar with the uh, concept of the church committee and uh, the the entire U.S. Uh, or the entire uh, Senate and the House Intelligence Committee grew out of that. So it's a great opportunity for uh, the Democrats, uh, if they could just uh, uh, find a way to live with the Republicans, to uh, take advantage of this new committee, uh, the weaponization of intelligence, uh, and and uh, see what uh, they can do in terms of uh, you know, improving it or repairing it. Again, as I mentioned in the book, uh, so many of these failures happened on the part of the, the Democrats. They par- happened on the part of the Clinton, uh, or rather the um, uh, Biden and uh, uh, Obama administration. So if you have all this happening on their administration, I think they have an obligation to start looking into how to correct these things. 
Uh, lastly, Jim, I know that uh, that you were born in uh, Atlantic City. I get back to I get to Atlantic City quite a bit, and we speak about it quite a bit on the radio. When's the last time you were were in Atlantic City? Do you get back there often these days? You know, I keep every year. I keep saying I got to go back to Atlantic City one of these days. Uh, I haven't been back there in a long time. I was there right around the time that they were converting it into uh, into um, um, a gambling mecca. Uh, I was born there long before that, so my memory of it uh, is a, a much more placid place. I so can imagine steel pier and the boardwalk and uh, uh, the peanut man and all that kind of thing. The diving horse. So I didn't, you know, it, it, seeing all the gambling casinos sort of took away from that memory. So I didn't have any great desire to go back and, um, and you know, have those memories sort of tarnished to some degree. Well, uh, when you do get back, be sure to let me know. I'll meet you down there. Uh, James Bamford, I hope everybody checks out Spy Fail. And, Jim, I hope you'll come back soon. I have uh, pages and pages worth of other questions I'd love to go into with you. Great. I really appreciate it, Frank. Thanks very much for having me on your show. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you could give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.